I want to thank you. Many of you uh, prayed for us last weekend. Um, we had a tragedy in the family, and, and I know Deb got the word out to Pastor Sean. Uh, two weeks ago, I went out to Whistler and, and did a half Ironman. I'm a, I'm a wimp. I only did a half Ironman. And then we, we came back to the Okanagan, and we're going to celebrate a wedding of our niece. And so we hung out in Osiris for a few days, and, and we were going to meet some friends. Osiris is right on the border of U.S. Washington State. And so we were leaving to visit some friends, and we got the call that uh, tragedy happened. Our niece's fiancé was making his way to the wedding uh, in Oliver, and he, he was a biker, a motorcyclist. In fact, he used to ride for Hell's Angels. And then he got saved. Now he rides for bikers for Jesus, but he was in an accident. And went head on with the truck and, and, and was, was, was perished. And so on route to his wedding, you can imagine how tragic that was. And our niece has, had lived a troubled life. Um, uh, and she met her fiancé in rehab, but he was radically saved. And there, her life was being turned around through the <clears throat> influence of his life, him and her life. And <clears throat> I only met him once, but you could tell that the Lord had done something really cool in this guy's life. You know, and, and like I said, he used to ride for Hell's Angels. And just like in, the, in Colossians chapter 1, it says that he has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so Hell's Angels, the bikers for Jesus. So on, on the Friday before uh, the day of the wedding was supposed to take place, she put on her, her dress and her, her bridesmaids did the same and and they, they processioned out into the orchard where the, up to the altar and, and met with their parents and had a good cry, as you can imagine. So we've been praying all week hard for Catherine. You know, at times like that, um, it's hard, seemingly hard for some people to find gratitude and thanksgiving. And, and yet it's times like that that sometimes we need to do that the most. That's what brings us through. Many of you know that I'm the chaplain for Olympic Sports uh, Training Center. And one of the guys that I spent a lot of time with through the years is the name, guy by the name of Lyndon Rush. Now, Lyndon Rush, can you guess what sport he does? He's bobsled. Uh, Olympic um, medalist, World Cup champion, world championships. Now he's a coach. And, but going into 2010 Olympics, I was a, a chaplain at those Olympics. And I spent a lot of time working with Lyndon up to the build-up. And I knew that, that um, he had told me that before the build-up to the Olympics, they didn't have equipment that was quite on par with the rest of the world. And so the sled that they had, if they squeezed everything they could get out of it, they could maybe get a tenth place. And, and yet, but leading up to the Olympics, they bought a sled from Monaco for a quarter of a million dollars. So now that squeezing out a tenth place is a podium finish. And so at Olympic time... The, the host country, they limit access to the track. So the home country has a tremendous advantage. They have these international training weeks, weeks where they're mandated to let other countries come in. But Lyndon was always the class of the field. He would always w- win almost every run. He owned that track. So going into the to day three of, of four runs, he was in, in the tie for the lead with his German sport idol. I mean, he, he kind of grew up idolizing this German guy, and he's tied for the gold medal with this guy. I mean, he's living the dream. But coming down the track, he's never crashed in this track before. But coming in a turn, they called it 50-50, because you only have a 50-50 chance of staying upright. 
And Linda had never crashed in 50-50. Other guys had crashed and they ripped their helmets off. One guy ripped his suit right off his body. <laughs> On that international television, just rip. But sure enough, Linda hits that just a little bit wrong and flips over. And I'm, I'm watching it in Olympic Village and my heart just sinks all the way to my feet. Because I'm like, I knew I'd gone into that. And Lyndon told me a lot about the story of what had gone on. So he said, Steve, when that happened, I just wanted to crawl up inside the nose of the sled and not come out until we pulled the sled into the shop. <laughs> but sure enough, the, C- the CTV cameras you know, came on him. And, and he later told me, um, and this is what the build-up to the interview he did, he said, he, he also said, Steve, I knew that, that I had to find one thing to be grateful for, at least one thing to be grateful for. So the first thing that popped into his mind was his brakeman's wife that day had delivered a baby. And so when CTV interviewed him, he said this. He said, well, my chaplain, Steve Sellers, said that you don't, don't just peak physically for Olympics. You've got to peak spiritually. So we're ready for anything. He said, my, wife, uh, my brakeman's wife had a baby today, so we're going to go celebrate that and get ready for the four-man. And he won a bronze medal. So I had a pretty good ending of the story. But sometimes that's true, isn't it? In the, in the worst of situations, if you can just grab on to one thing to be grateful for, sometimes it can pull you through. Now, maybe some of you have been at a tragic place like I just mentioned. Or maybe, maybe you're there now. Maybe you've come today looking for hope. And I'll just share with you, you're at the right place because God gives us hope. So let's turn to, to Psalm 116. Sometimes the vacationing pastor, he might give the, 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 the speaker, the fill-in speaker, the hard um, topic. But preaching on gratitude and thanksgiving is probably the easiest thing in the world because there's so much to be grateful for. But we're at page one, um, 293, um, Psalm 116. Page what? 328. Oh, sorry. Okay. Well, 116. First four verses we're going to read. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I shall call upon him as long as I live. The cords of death encompassed me, and the tears of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, save my life. I may have a different translation um, then, then I'm reading for the New American Standard. Um, I know we've got other versions that have come along since then, but I'm still too old school. I'm stuck in New American Standard. But um, it might be easy to assume that, as you read this, that, that, that David wrote this, because he wrote so many of our Psalms. You know, I might be thinking, okay, David has poured out his heart so many times in the Psalms and been honest with us. You wonder, was it when he, his family was imploding before him in rape, incest, and, and treason, or... Maybe it was when he was running for his life from his, his mentor, King Saul. Actually, his father-in-law was trying to kill him. Um, or maybe he was in Gath, you know, where he had... So he's, he's running from Saul. He's in Philistine, and, and Gath is where he killed Goliath. And so he had to feign madness. He's drooling all over his beard, and they, they write him off like, okay, we're, he's just a madman. We'll let him be. So it could, be, it could have been any of those situations. But you know what? They pretty much think it wasn't David that wrote this. It's what they call a post-exilic or post-exile um, psalm. And so let me give you a little Israel, Israeli history here. In about A.D., no, no, B.C., 600, the world power was Babylon. And Babylon was ruled by Nebuchadnezzar. And so they had a way of congregation. They go in, 
just crush a nation, but deport everybody and take them back to their country, kind of incorporate them into society. And they weren't as cruel as the Assyrians that came before them that just killed everybody, but it kind of was more effectively cruel because it kind of uh, crushed a culture because they kind of trade one culture for their culture. And so back home in, in Israel, there's, you know, everything's demolished. Almost everybody is gone. There's nothing left but just a remnant of people, a remnant of buildings. So Israel is at the lowest of low. But then the next kingdom came along, world kingdom was Persia, ruled by King Cyrus. And God revealed himself to Cyrus in a, some very clear, unusual ways. And it was a decree, probably not issued by Cyrus, but the next king after him, Artaxerxes, that allowed the, the Jews to go back to their homeland. And uh, as you know from the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, rebuild the walls around the city and rebuild the temple. And so it was the ta- the temple of Solomon that the Babylonians just destroyed. And Solomon's temple was amazing. I don't know if there's anything like it in the world up until that time. Gold everywhere, just ornate. It's incredible because Solomon, King David before him, his father, and he wanted Solomon to build a temple worthy of, of our Lord. And, and he did. But the Babylonians just crushed it. So here's the Jews. They come back and they have to rebuild something of a temple to unite them. Before the exile, there were different places around the kingdom where they could come and and offer their sacrifices and worship. But mostly it was the temple, this exquisite temple. But now they had nothing except kind of a a shadow of the former temple. But there's three feasts of the year for the Jewish people, which they still celebrate today, like Passover and Feast of the Booths and, and things like that. And it was at these feasts that they would come to the temple. Everybody would come as low and harsh as things were for the nation, but they would come and celebrate at the temple. And this Psalm 116 would be read during those feasts. It was a time of celebration. So we have the temple with the Holy of Holies where the priests would meet with God uh, once a year. And then there'd be the courts. And the courts are to the side. That's where people would bring their sacrifice. And we, we see later, later in our Psalm that bring a drink offering and offerings of thanksgiving. And as they offered these thanksgivings, they would sing this psalm that we have right here. So let me tell you just a little bit about the genre of psalms. You know, they're songs. They're song lyrics. I mean, to us, we read the Bible, and it's God's Word. It's authoritative. It's from God. And there's theology there. But it's actually the genre of, of, of song lyrics. And so for the people of the Old Testament, they not only had the authoritative word from God, but they had it as, as music. And they'd celebrate that. You know, there's a, a power bringing words of truth and song together. And my, when I was a young person, old people here will know this. My first record I ever bought was Chicago 2. And my parents had this big stereo console, you know, the big wooden things. The audio equipment wasn't very good, but it was a great piece of furniture. And so I, I would put Chicago 2 on there, plug in my $10 headphones and sit there and listen to this amazing music. And, and to this day, decades later, I haven't even heard any of those songs. I'm sure I can still re- recite the lyrics to 25 or 6 to 4. <laughs> I'm sure I can do it because they're like a groove just placed in, in, ground in my head. And that's what the Psalms with music and these, these godly lyrics kind of did with the people. They would sing and celebrate and give thanks to the truths and the words of God. So well, let's turn back to our passage. Um, the first point I want to make in these first four verses especially is that we can be grateful because God hears our cries. He hears our prayers. 
You know, the last 10 years or so, I've volunteered with the RCMP, um, this uh, thing called Victim Services. And, and we're the guys that go along the police when they need to make a death notice. And, or, or like so there's a traffic accident and there's a tourist and I've, I've been on calls where, where someone's died and they have to navigate like a tourist from the States or something. They have to navigate what to do next. And so the RCMP, their, their role is the investigation. And our RCMP, they are awesome. They have hearts for the people, but because of the investigation, they often can't deal with that. So we come along and kind of help out with, with, with that. Um, but on my first day of training, I heard something that was just profound. Peter Quinn, who's now a good friend of mine, he's the director of our program, he said that when people are really hurting, sometimes all they really need is someone to be a witness to their pain. Think about that, just to be a witness to their pain. So often we're like, we run from these situations because we don't know what to say, we think we'll say the wrong thing and make the situation worse. But maybe you've been there where you just think, I just wish someone would notice how much I'm hurting. Notice that I've gone through this. We can all, we can all do that. That's pretty, we, we can all be a witness to the pain. Years ago, a friend of mine, um, Brett Nelson, I was a rookie athletes in action uh, staff guy, working with these seasoned veteran chaplains. And, and Brett, he was the chaplain for the University of Alabama. You know, they're a football dynasty. He was so old, Brent, who was in his 40s, but <laughs> at the time I thought that was old. He, his head football coach was Paul Bear Bryant. If you know anything about college football, he's the most winning football coach in the history. You know, he was like this incredible legend and a Christian man, kind of a harsh man, but a Christian man. And so Nels, you know, he's still not married, he's single, and, and he had a girlfriend who was a flight attendant, so he's kind of, she'd fly out to some of our conferences, we kind of got to know her a little bit. And, um, and the staff guys, we were, we were together, and Brent made the announcement. He said, hey, guys, just need to tell you, my girlfriend and I, we broke up. And so I'm, I'm a first-year staff guy, and, and I want to be tough because I'm with these jocks, administered to jocks, and, and so I wiped away my tear. And later that afternoon, Brent, he said, Steve, I saw that tear, and you don't know how much that meant to me. But you know what? The psalmist loves the Lord. He tells us in verse 1, why? Because he hears my voice. He hears my prayer. God is the ultimate witness to our pain. He knows exactly how much we're hurting. He knows exactly what we've gone through. He knows exactly everything about the situation. It's part of his plan, and everything about it's good. Um, In verse 2, we're told that, I don't know what the... Pew version said, but most versions say that he inclines our ear, his ear towards us. Now, sometimes you can hear the phrase, oh, I'm inclined to do this, or I'm inclined to do that. It's almost as kind of like, I might do it. But no, the Hebrew word there is a word, natah, that means you stretch out. And so it's kind of like they use it uh, back then to stretch out a, you know, a canvas tent. They got to stretch it to, to, to put the tent up. And it's almost like like I just saw a movie last week, and you've seen this a hundred times, where someone's about to fall off a cliff or a building, and they reach your hand up, and the hero stretches out his hand, grabs on, and in most cases brings them to safety. The movie I watched, he didn't. <laughs> but God always brings us to safety. He doesn't let he doesn't let it go. But that's the word. He stretches out. So it's kind of like uh, he's making an effort. 
to hear our prayers. Here's the God uh, of, who created an infinite universe, which in our finite minds can't even comprehend how big and vast this universe is. But he is stretching out there, waiting to hear our prayers and to, to, and to rescue us in the midst of that prayer. And he does it always. You know, and, and, and in this psalm, it talks about how we have so much to be grateful for. And God hears those prayers. Well, secondly, let's go on to the next one here. We can be grateful because our gracious and righteous God is compassionate and delivers. Let me read the next few, uh, few verses here, starting in verse 5. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For thou hast rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. I shall walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed when I said, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all men are liars. So we see here in this text that God not only does he hear, but in his compassion, he rescues. You know, our our psalmist, we don't know who he is. We don't know what he's going through, but we can pretty much surmise that he was close to death. I mean, he's looking at death right in the face. I don't know if it was because of sickness or, or turmoil, you know, war, but he was about to die. He figured it was over. You know, so in this situation, think a python wrapping its big fat snake self around you. But he hadn't started squeezing yet. But then you reach up and God reaches down and just kind of zip, zips you right out of there. That's kind of the picture that I had when I read this. Because he was so close to death, that python was about to start squeezing and it would be all over. And God is gracious, compassionate, and rescued him. He didn't turn his back on him. And he won't turn his back on us in our tough situations. We cry out and we ask for deliverance. Sometimes the deliverance and the answer to prayer doesn't come like we asked or thought it would be. But it's always answered. It's always there. But maybe in different ways. So how does this, this psalmist describe his life? We see here, he said, I was brought low. My soul was next to death. His feet were in peril of stumbling. And people around him must have been trash-talking him because he said, all people are liars. I mean, that's a tough place to be. You know, you get in a, a, t- a bad, hard situation and you're struggling enough and the people that should be there for you are, are speaking negatively about you. Maybe they're saying, well, he deserves it or, or it's because he did something like that or who knows. But so he's being ostracized, possibly through people around him. But in the midst of the darkness, the truth of who God was, his graciousness and compassionate, and the fact that he was there, it rescued him. You know, sometimes we need to go through those times to really experience the truth and reality of who God is. You know, we had a June here that was typical. You know, June is not summer. Most parts of the world, June is summer in temperate areas. June here, like, uh, what does it say? April showers bring May flowers. For us, it's June showers bring July flowers, hopefully. Sometimes snow. <laughs> but day after day in June, it was the same typical June we get. Um, rainy, kind of cold, you know, and you're just going, oh, man, summer's coming, I think, I hope. And then someday it does come. And the skies break open. We have some glorious days the last couple of weeks, haven't we? And then everybody flocks to the quarry. You know, and it just, it's, 
you got to do slalom around the boats down there because it's just so it's so glorious. The sky is so sky is so brilliant. But you wouldn't really appreciate those skies if it wasn't for the June that you went through, the cold, rainy June that you endured. I finally planted my garden on June 9th, uh, the week after it snowed. <laughs> but our psalmist says that his soul can be at rest because God saved him. Think about my, my niece. We pray every day for her, that her soul be at rest, that she wouldn't resort back to the, some of the things she went back before. You know, when, we, when you encounter really low, hard, harsh times, what's your first response? I think for many people, it's anxiety. First of all, it's anxiety. It's like, oh, what's going to happen now? And you start thinking about the future and it gets you anxious. And then your second thought is, oh, I'm going to come up with some solutions. Maybe this or that or this or that. You know, I'm, I'm kind of surprised sometimes with some of the athletes I work with and they're telling me about something really bad or hard going on in their life. I said, I'll ask them, have you prayed about it? Like, no. Like, you even thought about praying? <laughs> you know, well, let's pray together. I'll pray for you right now. And, and yet that should be our, our first response. Sometimes in prayer, God reveals a solution that we wouldn't have even thought about. You know, if you're just left on your own, you're brainstorming things. Um, but God sometimes just does something totally different to rescue you. And sometimes we want prayer. We want the thing to go away. And we want to be relieved of the pain. And, but God, sometimes you well, no, but this is the answer to your prayer here. Years ago, I was in seminary and doing ministry to athletes in action and I just paid off my five-year car loan. And my timing belt broke. And my whole engine blew. <laughs> you know? And, and I was, it, was, it was finals week. And in the next week, I was going to take a missions trip, a, basketball, a bunch of basketball guys down to New Zealand. I'm like, Lord, the timing is so bad on this. Does this really have to happen? And, and I got I to confess, I did not have a good attitude. Um, but I did pray about it. And I was coming up with my solutions. My friend had an old 1974 Oldsmobile Cutlass. You know, it smelled like a stale cigar. And he was thinking about selling. I was like, well, I could have a muscle car. It wouldn't be... I don't want it. And then another friend of mine's mom was getting rid of her rusty old Suzuki Samurai. And that didn't appeal to me too much either. And I'll deal with it, deal with it when I come back from the mission trip. And so I come back from the mission trip, and this, this, guy's, the, this guy, his mom, he's working at a landfill. He used to own the landfill... They sold the landfill, and in the contract was a, a clause that if they got the permitting done to keep it open for 20 years, he got a bonus. He got a million dollars. And this guy was a tither. <laughs> so, hey, Steve-O, you got a need? I know you have a need. Let me buy you a brand new truck. So I'm in seminary. Beater, beater, beater. Brand new S10. Beater, beater, beater. <laughs> One of my friends goes, Steve, we're in seminary. We're not supposed to drive new cars. Like, yeah, I know. I feel kind of bad, but not really. <laughs> and, and it's just that the Lord provided. I never would have imagined that God would have done that. But he came through. That was my need. He came through. I was brought low. I mean, you might think, oh, it's just an insignificant thing. But these days you need a car to get around. And I was brought low and God came through. He rescued me. Well, thirdly, our response we talk about gratitude, thanksgiving. The psalmist here, he has a response. So let's read his response in tw- verses 12 to 19. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. O oh, Lord, surely I am thy servant. 
I am thy servant, the son of thy handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. To thee I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. O may it be in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. We've been given so much. Let me just ask a question. Who was the most wealthy guy figure in the Old Testament? Maybe even in the world history. Don't say Bill Gates. <laughs> Who is the most wealthy? Solomon. Solomon. Man, he had gold everywhere. The Queen of Sheba heard about him, Northern Africa. She says, I got to go witness this. So she comes all the way up there and, and she says, it's all true. He's so, it's so wealthy. This kid is so wealthy. It's amazing. Well, let me ask you this. When Solomon got a headache, could he pop an aspirin for quick, effective relief? When he went to survey his kingdom, could he jump in his 4x4 SUV? Oh, it's a hot day. Let's turn on the air conditioning. You know, when he gets back, oh, let me, let me take a glass of water, ice machine from the fridge, cold water. You know, did, did he go to the Dairy Queen and experience a blizzard? Uh, uh, did he lock his heels in, go down a powder slope? I mean, nah. Little things that we take for granted. In some ways, we're more wealthy than the wealthiest person that ever lived. And, and do, you, do you give thanks for these things? Do you have gratitude for these things? We should. And sometimes you get overwhelmed by, by what we have that we're compelled. We have to give thanks. A number of years ago, my neighbor um, asked me to go for a hike. And I was a little scared of this guy because he, he did rock climbing and used to guide rock climbing. And so we did Eeyore, you know, East End of Rundle right here. You can see, uh, I can't quite see it. It's covered by clouds. It's pretty high. So this is the same neighbor that Deb and I, for years, we did a... a driveway neighborhood VBS. We invite all the non-Christian kids into our VBS, and, and he expressed some concerns, like, well, one of you guys are teaching them things that, that we, you know, we don't believe in. And, well, it's just classic Christianity. Come and find out yourself, you know? And so I could tell this guy probably wasn't a Christian. Um, but we're at the top of Eeyore, and we're looking out. You guys know how it is when you go to the top of these mountains around here? It's just spectacular. And you know what he said? He says, we should pray and give thanks. I almost fell over. You're kidding. <laughs> really? And I don't remember what he prayed or who went first. I do remember this. We didn't, we didn't close our eyes. We just looked around. He prayed something like this. He said, thank you for giving this to us to enjoy. I thought he was compelled to give thanks. And, and when you've been given so much, that's what you do. You're just compelled to give thanks. And the psalmist here he, he said we give thanks in a couple of ways. Um, in verse 14, and later 18, 19, he says to do it in the presence of God's people. Verse 14, oh, may it be in the presence of his people. And later in 18, 19, oh, may it be in the presence of all his people in the courts of the Lord's house. Like I said, they're in the side court uh, at the feast, giving sacrifices um, and giving thanks and with one another. There's power in coming together in the presence of God's people. Okay, we're together this morning, so I'm preaching to the choir. I know that. But there's a lot of people in today's world that say, well, church is optional. You know what? It's not optional. God tells us in Hebrews 10.25, don't forsake the assembling of the brethren. And there's a couple of reasons why I think that he wants us to do that. Uh, A number of years ago, I was in my doctor's office, and I read a sports psychology journal. And they said that um, athletes that have an injury but know somebody else has had the same injury, but have come through it, they heal much faster. 
It's kind of like they have hope. Because, well, if they had it, came through it, then maybe I can too. And, and you know what? When we come together in, in faith, we see how God's working in their life and their life. And we think, start to think, well, God is doing things today. and He can do that. And he's done it to them. Why not me too? And so we, we strengthen one another. and We build each other up. And we celebrate those things together. I mean, some of those songs, that first song was so cool. I love that one. Never heard it before, but we're singing and praising God together and rejoicing and celebrating that together. You know, the other thing that um, the psalmist did, he talks about in verse 13 and 17, he calls on his name. Now, my friend, my neighbor, when we were giving thanks, I don't know if he knew who to give thanks to, <laughs> but hopefully that he'll discover the one that created all that. And when we give thanks specifically to the, the name of Jesus, it glorifies him because we know where it comes from. And when we specifically say, thank you for giving us this and thank you for doing this, uh, it, it specifically honors and glorifies Jesus. So we need to do it in, in his name. And then um, thirdly, he talks about um, giving and making vows. Twice he mentions that, I will give my vow. I don't know exactly what that means. Uh, about maybe he's just um, uh, making a promise to himself to, to live out his, his Thanksgiving. But let me just go back a little bit. Um, let me tell you a story. There's a guy, a poor guy, was given a loaf of bread. He says, I want to thank the baker. So he goes to the baker, and the baker says, oh, don't thank me. Thank the miller who milled the flour. So he goes to the miller and says, oh, don't thank me. Thank the farmer who, who grew, the, grew the wheat. Went to the farmer, and the farmer says, says don't thank me. Thank God. Who gave us the soil, the minerals, the moisture, so we could grow this and, and give you that bread. So that farmer understood Psalm 24, 1, where it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And James 1, 17 in the New Testament, Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights who does not change. So it seems to me that there are, are two kinds of people. Um, I have a theory, I don't know if this is true or not, but the older you get, the more who you are shows on your face. Like if you smile a lot, you get wrinkled eyes that are smiley. If you frown a lot, you get wrinkled. I don't know. So when you're younger, you can kind of hide who you are, but when you get older, it kind of shows. But I think there are two types of people, those who are grateful a lot and those that aren't grateful a lot. And it kind of shows on their face. You know, the people who are grateful a lot, people like to be around them because they're positive, they're hopeful for the future, they, they just love to give thanks. Years ago, uh, there was a guy, I worked, I worked at, a, at a horticulture research farm. That was my undergraduate degree, horticulture. And we were given the task to move a big rock out of um, the field. And there's a guy that worked with me, and I'll never forget, Phil Bird. And this guy was a Christian guy, and he was one of those guys that had the, the wrinkle smiles because he just smiled all the time. And it took us all morning to dig at this stupid rock. And then we finally, just him and I, we finally lifted it together. We lifted it up on the, the thing and clunk. And he just goes, praise the Lord. <laughs> it was just a dumb big rock, but that's the way Phil was. He was just grateful for everything. And, and, and at this farm, I was doing my undergraduate work and it was kind of time for me to take some time off from my studies. But we got all kinds of people coming through there. And Phil, he just influenced everybody. It was incredible. Some people didn't like him because he was, because they just didn't like God. But it was just incredible how his attitude of thanksgiving just changed so many lives. 
But let me just kind of start to close out here. Talking about vows that our psalmist made. Like I said, I don't know what those are exactly, but it's kind of like taking the thanksgiving of the heart and moving it down to the hands into thanks living. And not that we need to be legalistic about things, but true expression of thanks results in, in maybe doing stuff and, and having an attitude of gratitude to give thanks and give back. You know, I apologize to some of the athletes that were in Saturday night service and the first service this morning because they hear all my stories. But for years, I've told the story about um, what I call the thank you performance. Back in, the, I think it was the 80s, there was this offensive lineman in the NFL named Anthony Munoz, played for the Cincinnati Bengals. He was named the lineman of the decade. And I got to go to Anthony Munoz's basement. And there's these strength machines called Hammer Strength. They cost like 20, 30 grand each. He had wall-to-wall hammer strength. I guess if you're a good NFL player, you can afford a lot. And he had a, a little squirrely kid running around. He's eight or nine years old at the time. And he followed in his father's footsteps and played football at USC and was all American like his dad and offered a pro contract like his dad. But he's like, nah, no thanks. I'm done playing football. But anyway, Anthony Munoz was just in his second year of playing. And his chaplain told, told, me this, told us this story. And Anthony came to him and he says, I don't know why I'm out there. During the exhibition seasons, it's still early on. Chaplain goes, what do you mean you don't know why you're out there? Well, I fulfilled every goal I ever wanted to do. I mean, I made it into the NFL. I was rookie of the year last year, which is probably a big thing for an old lineman. And I said, I don't know why I'm out there. So the, the chaplain says, okay, go home tonight. Think about just one thing you want to thank God for. And so he gave him that assignment. The next day he came in. I want to thank God for my mom. He said, well, why your mom? She says, well, she worked three jobs, raised nine kids, made sure we were well-educated and, and walked in the ways of the Lord. And she's a godly mother. So he said, okay, when you play today, you can whisper thanks to, your, to God, to your mom, or you can shout thanks to God for your mom. So in the trenches of the NFL, that's where the line are, there's a lot of talk about moms. But none of it's very positive. It's usually about the other mom. <laughs> and, um, but this part of the story I heard later, where apparently uh, Anthony was a wild man. And he was like, thank you, God, for mom. Bam! Hitting this guy. And the guy's like, whoa, what's going on with this guy? And, and so the next day, um, the chaplain was in the, in the offices. And Forrest Gregg was the line coach at the time. And he said, Forrest, how, how, did, how did you do yesterday? Let me show you. And he puts it on the game field on the screen. And, he was blowing his guy so far off the line that he wasn't even on the screen in a lot of plays. And so Forrest Gregg said, I've never seen a man be more dominating of his opponent, opponent than Anthony Munoz did yesterday. So that's the thank you performance. So you tell guys, what do you want to thank God for? So as I was thinking about this message this week, you know, I've told this story dozens of times to guys. But I thought, well, why don't I apply it to my life? I'm not an old lineman, you know, and... Uh, I still do some triathlon and stuff, but, but you can apply it daily. Just wake up in the morning and think, about, okay, God, I want to thank you for this today. And I'm not going to whisper thanks. I'm going to shout thanks to you today. So that's the thank you performance. But let me just close by closing the gap here. Um, th- talk about our experience last weekend. So if you've been down to Vancouver, Lower Mainland, you know you're on highway number one. And then you're going to go to the Okanagan. You go on Highway Number Three, and and you know what town that, that is there? I'll give you a hint. It's where they filmed the first Rambo movie. You know what that town's called? Hope. So Bill, our niece's fiance, he's riding a motorcycle and going to go off on a, a Highway Number Three. 
where their cell reception isn't so good. So he pulls off the highway, gets out his cell phone, calls his fiance for the last time, uh, tells him tells her where where he's at when you expect him. And I'm probably pretty sure he he told her he loved her. But the town of Hope, of course, is where he made that call. And so several of our family members they they, they talked about that. And some of them were strong Christians, some of them were kind of nominal Christians, but it just touched us all to realize that, you know what? Life is short. We'll see Bill again very soon. And that call he made from hope is just so poignant because we have that hope. And folks, as Christians, we have that hope ourselves because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And and the Bible makes it clear with certainty we can have that hope Know that we'll be with our Savior and our loved ones for all eternity. And that's something to be grateful for. That's the number one thing to be grateful for. So let me lead us in a prayer to give gratitude for that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to just come before you and thank you for my church. Thank you that we can meet in this place, in this town, and come together as fellow Christians and even visiting Christians to to celebrate you together, celebrate that magnificent salvation. Lord, it cost you so much, and you just went right through the pain, right through the anguish of being separated from your Father for for moments on that cross. And Lord, you rose again, and, and give us the hope that we know, actually, that we will see you and be with you for all eternity. Thank you for that. Thank you for opening up our minds and our hearts to believe it and know it and receive it. And we just thank you for all the other stuff, your presence in our lives, your strengthening of our lives, the provisions for food and shelter and so many things. Lord, that all comes from your hand. And we know it. We want to acknowledge it and just give you thanks. And Lord, may our lives be full of gratitude as they should. And you are the deserving one for which we are thankful for. Lord, we pray in your name. Amen.